Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and look with me at Nehemiah chapter 2. Grab your Bible and go with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. You're going to need it tonight. We're going to hang out Nehemiah chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. Nehemiah and chapter number 2. Nehemiah and chapter 2. Look with me at verse number 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now look here, you're going to remember, why is Nehemiah doing this? Nehemiah is drinking the cup that was put in front of the king because he already told us in verse 11 of chapter 1 that he was the king's cupbearer. Do you see that? And what we said is the king's cupbearer is not just the guy who tasted his food. That's what we think of it. But Nehemiah is more than just the guy who tasted his food. Nehemiah, in essence, was his personal assistant, his bodyguard, his right-hand man. That's what he's responsible for. He's responsible for, for a lot in the kingdom. And you'll notice that here in just a second. But you'll see this in verse number one, the very end. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And then I was sore afraid. And I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should, my, why should not my countenance be sad? When the city... The place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? He says, What do you want? How can I help? What what are you asking? Notice Nehemiah's response to the request. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. The king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him. So look here, this shows you how how much prominence Nehemiah has. It's just the king, the queen, and himself. There's nobody else there. Those three alone are in this room making this decision. Verse 6, for how long shall thy journey be and when wilt thou return? And so it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come again or, or till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that I may give or that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertained to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, 
Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. One of the hardest things to learn in the Christian life, really in life at all, is to learn how to wait. How many of you are impatient? Let me see. Be honest. There's this few things that we like less than waiting. When, when we are forced to wait, it reminds us that, that we, are, we are not in control. It, it reminds us that we are not as important as we thought ourselves to be. We do not like to wait at all. We don't like to wait in traffic. We don't like to wait in line at the supermarket. We don't like to wait at the airport. If our phones don't load something fast enough, we don't like to wait. We just keep swiping down on that thing in order to make it hurry up. But the truth is, most of life is waiting. We wait to see the doctor. We wait to graduate. We, we wait to be accepted into college. You wait for your first job offer. You wait to see if the bank will give you a loan. You, you wait for the right time to start a family. You wait for your test scores. You wait for a loved one to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You, you wait for the Lord to bring the right man or the right woman into your life at the right time. You, you, you wait to find out what God has for you in this life. You, you, you wait for your prayers to be answered. Most of life is waiting. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Most of life is waiting. And one of the most difficult things to do in life is wait. And one of the most difficult things to do in the Christian life is wait. And yet, over and over and over again, God calls his people to learn to wait on him. We must learn to wait on the Lord. This chapter begins with a small and seemingly insignificant note. But it's very important to the idea of, of seeing in Nehemiah how God caused Nehemiah to wait and what Nehemiah did in the waiting time. It's very insignificant. Look at verse number one. It's the very first verse of chapter two. And notice it says, and it came to pass in the month Nisan. Okay, so why is that little part of verse 1 important? Because it's telling you that this is four months after Nehemiah heard the news that Jerusalem was in ruins. It had been four months since Nehemiah heard the report that, ne that Jerusalem was in ruin. It had been four months since God had given to Nehemiah a burden for Jerusalem. It had been four months. Nehemiah had wept. He had mourned. He had fasted. He had prayed. It had been four months since Nehemiah 
heard about Jerusalem until God gave Nehemiah the opportunity to speak to the king about what God wanted Nehemiah to do. Does that surprise you? Does it surprise you that God made Nehemiah wait? It shouldn't, if you know your Bible. In fact, what should surprise you is that Nehemiah only had to wait four months. He only, which is actually a very short time to wait compared to other people in the Bible. Did you know that Abraham waited over 25 years for God to give him Isaac? 25 years Abraham waited. Did you know that Joseph spent time in, in Potiphar's house as a slave? And then he spent time in a prison. Joseph spent almost two decades waiting on God to give him the promotion that God told him he would give him when he was a teenage boy. Did you know that Moses spent 40 years waiting in the desert? You know that David spent the better part of a decade, nearly all of his 20s and the, the, the early part of his 30s, running from King Saul, waiting to be appointed? Did you know that the Apostle Paul spent three years in the desert in Arabia before God would exalt Paul to the position that he had for him? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. It is not uncommon for God to have his people to learn to wait on him. Nehemiah waited. And those that God would use must learn to wait on him. The people that God would use are the people who must learn to wait on God. Now I want you to write this down. This very important principle. And I'm, going to show it, I'm going to show it to you in practice in a second, but here's the principle. With God, waiting is never wasted. With God, waiting is never wasted. So this is one of the reasons why we don't like to wait, because we think it's just wasting time. If I could just hurry up and tell somebody about whatever I've got to tell them. If God would just hurry up and do what I want God to do. If God would just hurry up and get to this one thing. If God would just hurry up and give me. That's how we think. Because we think waiting is wasted. But with God, waiting is never wasted. Waiting... When God calls us to wait, he is calling us to learn to trust him. But here's what I'm going to tell you. This does, not, this does not happen by accident. Learning to wait on God and learning to trust in God's timing happens intentionally. It, it, it happens when we have a focus. Nehemiah here does things intentionally. That's what you're going to see very quickly. Nehemiah does things on purpose. Nehemiah is not just sitting around Shushan in the palace and just going, well, God told me I was going to do something, but I don't know. He hasn't given it to me just yet. So I guess it's never going to happen. That's not what he's doing. Nehemiah also isn't going, oh, wow, I see something. Now I'm just going to rush in and do something. No, that's not what he's doing either. Nehemiah isn't sitting passively to the side. Nehemiah isn't aggressively pushing himself forward. No, Nehemiah is standing in the in-between, waiting on God. Waiting 
on the Lord. So what can we do while we wait? That's what we're asking. What can we do while we wait? I got three things for you tonight. Here we go with three things. What can we do while we wait? Well, seeing what Nehemiah did gives us what we can do. So while he waited, Nehemiah prayed. While he waited, Nehemiah prayed. Look at the, look at the text. The Bible says in verse number four of chapter number one, that when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Look at verse 6 of the same text, verse chapter 1. Look at the verse 6 of the same text. He says, now, I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house. But notice this. This is what Nehemiah is doing. While Nehemiah is waiting, Nehemiah is praying. Last week, we looked at Nehemiah's prayer. We looked at verse 5 all the way down to verse number 11 of this prayer. But here's what we're learning is that this prayer is not a one and done prayer for Nehemiah. This prayer is, is really a summary of what Nehemiah had been praying over and over and over again as he waited for God to open the door of opportunity for him. Oh, we told you this last week. I'm just going to remind you. Prayer was a priority for Nehemiah because prayer was a pattern for Nehemiah. Prayer is a priority. In fact, you even see it. Look at verse number four of chapter number two. The king finally says to Nehemiah, make your request. Tell me what you want. And notice what Nehemiah does. So I prayed. Isn't that interesting? Nehemiah's been waiting four months in order to have an opportunity to tell the king what's on his heart. And as soon as the king says, tell me what's on your heart, what does Nehemiah do? He prays before he tells him. Which teaches us something about Nehemiah's prayer life. Prayer was a priority because prayer had been a pattern. And notice the verse says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And we aren't told specifically in this text what Nehemiah prays exactly. We're just told that he does pray. If, if, if my, my best guess is he prays something similar to what he'd already prayed in chapter number one. I, I think he prays something like, God, put your hand on me, set a watch before my lips and keep the doors of my mouth and cause me not to say anything that is not in line with your will for me. God, please do this for me. And notice he says in verse 8, he acknowledges God answered his prayer. He says, because the good hand of my God was upon me. You see that? He acknowledges, man, the only way I could even make this request before the king was because I had spent time in prayer and God is a prayer answering God. I think verse 4 of chapter 2 reflects the fact that Nehemiah prays in any and every situation. He prays. He is a man of prayer. But you should make note of this. This little quick sentence, so I pray to the God of heaven. This little quick sentence prayer, it is resting. It is built on four months of extended prayer. It is built on four months of quiet, private 
prayer where no one but Nehemiah and God were involved in. It shows us that what Hudson Taylor said is actually true, that it is, it is possible to move men to God by prayer alone. And this is what's happening. So one of the reasons why God asks us to wait on him is because it teaches us to depend on him in prayer if you prayed to God for something and God gave it to you, by the time the day was over, you would grab your goodies from God and you would forget all about God. If God just granted you every request the moment you asked it, you would see God not as your loving heavenly father who you are invited into a relationship with, but you would see him as your genie who is obligated to give you everything you ask for. You see? When we wait on God, what is God's purpose in making us wait? It is teaching us to depend on him in prayer. So waiting time is never wasted time when you use that time to pray. Waiting time is never wasted when you use that time to pray. It really, it really rests in our understanding of prayer then, doesn't it? There's a second thing here. While, while Nehemiah waited, Nehemiah learned patience. See, waiting reveals, when we are asked to wait, it reveals just how impatient we really are. Did you know this? That patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It, so so what, what Paul helps us understand about patience is, Paul is saying patience is something that God's Holy Spirit is doing in you that is bringing about your sanctification. So if you say, well, I'm just not a very patient person. I just like things snip snap. I just don't want to sit around and twiddle my thumbs. And what you're saying is, I know that God wants me to be patient. I just don't like who God wants me to be. That's what you're saying. You're saying, I don't, I don't want to be who God wants me to be. I in, Instead, I choose to be who I am naturally. Not who I am in the spirit, but who I am in the flesh. Not who I am with the help of God working in my life, God making me more like Jesus, but who I am in my natural, in my natural state. Man, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And God wants to develop that patience in you. God wants to develop that patience in me. In fact, I would tell you this. You should write this down. This is a great line. Impatient leaders cause lots of problems. Impatient leaders cause lots of problems. You, we might even could add unnecessary problems, right? Because we just rush, rush, rush instead of just wait on the Lord. He will renew your strength. 
He will cause you to mount up with wings as eagles. You can run and not be weary. You can walk and not faint. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We've forgotten that. Just wait on God. Just wait on God. Hey, listen, impatient husbands cause lots of problems. Impatient dads cause lots of problems. Impatient teachers cause lots of problems. Impatient wives cause lots of problems. Impatient children, impatient teenagers cause lots of problems. And all the adults said? Patience. Why does God make us wait? Because God knows we need sanctification in our life. God knows that we are not naturally who he has designed us to be because of sin. God has redeemed us from sin. And now God is in the process of renewing us. How does he do that? Well, he makes us wait. Because in waiting, we become and we learn patience. Kinder, in his commentary on Nehemiah, he points this out. He says that it's really remarkable that Nehemiah waits four months before he says anything to the king when you recognize that Nehemiah's natural bent was for swift and decisive action. Nehemiah, just read the rest of the text. Nehemiah is a guy who is, he's like, he's quick to it. He's, he, he rebuilds the wall in 52 days. It's incredible. He rebuilds the wall in 52 days. Nehemiah is a man of action, which makes Nehemiah's waiting four months all that more impressive. Nehemiah doesn't immediately hear about what's happening in Jerusalem and then immediately rush into the king's presence and ask for a year's leave of absence. No, he doesn't do that. Nehemiah waits He learns to depend on God in prayer. And he learns that patience is what God is trying to do in him. And then God finally opens the opportunity for Nehemiah to talk to the king. And then Nehemiah does. I want to show you this. I want to show you that this is not just a one-time thing. Because in a few weeks, we're going to get to Nehemiah. He arrives in Jerusalem. And when he he arrives at Jerusalem, he stays outside of the city for three days. And everybody in the city knows that this is Nehemiah out there. They know it's King Artaxerxes. They know it's his traveling crew. You're going to see in just a second. Nehemiah doesn't just make this trip by himself. He asks the king to send this entire entourage with him. So they all know he's coming. And when he gets there, they set up camp outside of Jerusalem. And they wait out there. So everybody in the city knows he's out there. They know what he's coming to do. They know he has the backing and the power of the king. And yet Nehemiah waits. He's a very, very calculated individual. Nehemiah is waiting on God. Waiting on God is never wasted when we learn to pray. Waiting on God is never wasted when we learn to be patient. Third one, last one. While Nehemiah waited, this is very important, Nehemiah planned. Waiting is never wasted 
when you are praying. Waiting is never wasted when you are patient. And waiting is never wasted when you are planning. The entire chapter actually shows us Nehemiah is getting a plan. Nehemiah is doing some advanced thinking. Nehemiah is he's very calculated. I want to I show you his plan. That's what you have in your subpoints here. I want to show you his plan. No, notice, notice the planning of Nehemiah. Notice the planning. Notice he endured the risk. He endured the risk. Look at verse, look at verse 1. He says, now I, the end of the verse, I had not been before time sad in the king's presence. Man, that, that teaches us something about Nehemiah, doesn't it? Nehemiah had a, a joyful consistency about himself. You know, some of us, we're really happy one day and we're really grumpy the next. Some of us, we have, we have really, really high highs and we have really low lows. And they happen in about the span of 32 minutes. But that's not Nehemiah. Nehemiah has this godly consistency. That's what we're seeing in Nehemiah. This is what mature people have. They have godly, joyful consistency. And walking around, oh, just the sky is falling, the sky is falling. The next day, wee, yay, we're all going to be great. Oh, the sky is falling, oh, yay. No, he doesn't have that. He's not living his life on this emotional roller coaster. Just godly, joyful, consistent. I had not before time been sad in the king's presence. And notice this, the king even notices it. Nehemiah isn't standing in the corner going, <clears throat> I'm sad Not what he's doing. No, he's doing his job. He's tasting the wine. He's helping serve the king. He's setting the agenda. He's helping plan the schedule. Wherefore, the king says to me, why is thy countenance sad? I, I notice you're not even sick. Which then says, so this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Now watch this. Because we, we missed this. The king says, this must be something else. You're not sick. I can tell you're not sick. So it must be something different. There's something bothering you in your heart. There's something troubling you in your spirit. Then I was very sore afraid. Wait, why? why? Why was he all of a sudden sore afraid? Why was he all of a sudden scared to death? This is the risk. Why was he all of a sudden scared to death? Here's why. Because in those days, it was a capital offense to be sad before the king. Kings are fickle people. They don't want anybody in their presence who's going to be a downer to them. They don't want anyone in their presence who is going to diminish whatever they think they might want to do. And so if anybody is coming into their presence and they're going to rain on the king's party, what the king does is he just goes, off with your head. I don't like you. You're making me sad. Off with your head. Imagine. So he says, I notice there's something wrong with you. What is it? It's not sickness, I can tell that. It's something in your spirit. There's something else bothering you. What is it? Look at verse 3. Very, very calculated. Here's the risk. Very calculated answer from Nehemiah. Look at verse 3. Let the king live forever. So here's what he's doing. Immediately he's saying, this is not some kind of assassination attempt. All right, so that's what the king could be thinking. The king could be thinking, well, you're not sick, so you must know that there's some plan afoot in order to take my throne. And so Nehemiah immediately goes, nope. Let the king live forever. Watch this. Nehemiah, he knows, he knows how to present the request. 
He, he knows. Look, the, your, your kids learn this really, really, really uh, at a very young age, right? Your kid can come up to you and go, hey, dad, give me, give me $10. My kids would do this to me. Hey, dad, give me $10. What? Get out of here. I'm not giving you nothing but a knuckle sandwich. And my daughter learned this really early. She learned, oh, no, no, that's not how you get $10 from dad. This is how you get $10 from dad. Hey, dad. Hey, papa. How are you? How was your day? Oh, it's very good, baby. Thank you for asking. Are you feeling good? Yes, I'm feeling great. Did you get coffee? Yeah, I had a coffee. Thank you. Okay, can I have some money? How much? Take 10, take 20, take $30. Take it all. Here, take the whole, take the card. It, and Nehemiah, is, he is wise. Let, let the king live forever. This is, this is, this is, there's, not a, there's not a plan afoot. Notice, why should not my, my countenance be sad when, when the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? In, in other words, he's saying, he, he doesn't just, the, the king goes, what do you want from me? He doesn't just immediately go, I, I would like a year's absence. Uh, I would like a, a year's leave of absence in order to go and fix some stuff that I have uh, to handle in my personal business. No, no, somebody does. No, he endures the risk. He, he, knows, he knows that in even asking this request, the king can decide that he doesn't like Nehemiah's answer and he can have Nehemiah beheaded right there in front of him. The king could become angry. The king could say, why are you worried about, ne why are you worried about Jerusalem? You're right here in the palace with me. Don't you know I'm on vacation? Don't you know your whole job here is to just make sure I have no problems? What you see? He could immediately respond that way. So here's the risk. Nehemiah is a planner. Why? Because he takes four months to plan, to think, to pray, to have patience, not to rush into something, but to be willing to walk through the door of opportunity when it is presented. Many people think that leaders are people who never get afraid. This is not true. That's, that's a lie. We, we all have fear about different things in our lives. Courage is not never being afraid. Courage is moving ahead in spite of your fear. And that's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah with his fear, trust to God the door of opportunity to be opened. And then once the door is open, he takes the risk. I will tell you this. Most people are not willing to take the risk. So here's Nehemiah's plan. He endures the risk. Here's the second one. He establishes a goal. Look at verse 5. So I said to the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me to Judah unto my father's sepulcher. Notice here's, here's the goal. That I may build it. You see what he says? He's very focused. This is what I want to go do. This is what I want to accomplish. I want to build it. I want to rebuild it. The wall is in shambles. There's holes. There's intruders. The people of God are at risk. And I want to go and I want to build it. That's his goal. He has a target. He has an aim. He has a destination. He has a desired result. He doesn't go, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. I just want to go down there and look around for a little bit, take some selfies, and then decide what I'm going to do once I get there. No, no, no. He, he, has, he, has, he has a goal. He has an established goal. 
If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So what are you aiming at? If you want to, if you want to know how to establish a goal, you should ask yourself three questions. Here they are. Number one, what do I want to be? Number two, what do I want to do? Number three, what do I want to have? You're asking yourself those three questions. Who do I want to be? What do I want to do? And what do I want to have? And then I'm trusting God. Okay, God, here I am. I'm putting myself in front of you and I'm waiting on you to give me the burden and I'm waiting on you to give me the opportunity in order to accomplish this. It's a endured risk. It's an established goal. We're talking about planning. Waiting is never wasted when we're using our waiting time to plan. Number three, he expressed a time. Look at verse six. Look at verse six. Moreover, I said to the king, if it please the king, let the letters be given unto me to the governors beyond the river that I may, I'm sorry, that's verse seven. Look at verse six. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, how long shall thy journey be and when will thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and here's the phrase, I set him a time. You see that? He has a set time. So he has an established goal. He, he willingly takes a risk. And he, he, he establishes a time. This is when it's going to be done. He doesn't just vaguely say, well, we'll just, I don't know how long it'll take. That's just really up to the Lord and to the weather. No, that's not what he says. He's, 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 he establishes a time. God had given him already an established time. What we learn later in chapter number five is that Nehemiah is in Jerusalem for 12 years. So more than likely, he finishes the wall. He finishes it in the established time. He returns back to report to Artaxerxes. The job is done. And then he returns back to Jerusalem. And he serves as governor. But it's an established time. We're talking, about, we're talking about a plan. How do we get a good plan? Endure a risk. Every, every plan requires risk. Every step forward in faith requires risk. Number two, establish a goal. What are you trying to accomplish? Number three, express a time. Here it is. It's going to happen here. Number four. Notice there's an exact request. Look at verse seven. So I say to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over uh, till I come into Jordan. So this is like 800 miles between Shushan the palace, which is in Iraq, and Jerusalem, so Israel. And Nehemiah had to cross all kinds of provinces in order to get there. And in, and in that day, you didn't just travel freely. So every place he came through, he would need proper procedure. He would need to be able to, he would need to be able to prove that he in fact was on this mission with the permission of the king. And so what this implies is, it implies that Nehemiah has thought this through. You remember, he has just asked. What would you have me to do? What would you want? What do you want? He's asked that right on the spot. And right on the spot, Nehemiah is saying, I'm going to go there to do this. I'm going to do it in this time frame. And I'm going to need these things from you in order to do it. 
He isn't, he isn't saying, I want to go build the wall. And the king goes, okay, great. And then he comes back later and goes, well, now that I've, now that I've really thought about building the wall, I realize it's going to be a lot more expensive than I originally planned. No, no, no. It's, it's an exact request. Notice this, verse 7. He expects a problem. Moreover, if it please the king, let the letters be given unto me to the governors beyond the river. In, in other words, he, he's anticipating the fact that it might not go exactly how he thought. He might not be able to just jump in his chariot, make a, make a two right turns, get on the I-5, and zip right into Jerusalem, right? He's expecting, he's anticipating that there'll be a problem. And so he's thinking through, what do I need to have? What could go wrong? If I have learned anything from pastoring in the last 13 years, this is what I have learned. If something can go wrong, it will. And so you know what's important? It's important to plan. Managers simply focus on the day-to-day. That's all they're trying to do. No, no idea of the big picture. Just what do I have to do today? What do I have to get done today? What do I have to solve today? Leaders like Nehemiah, they aren't simply concerned with the day-to-day details. They have a picture of the full thing. They are anticipating problems that no one else is thinking about. That is what Nehemiah is doing. Waiting time is never wasted when you use your waiting time to plan. To plan. Notice this last one. Nehemiah evaluated the cost. Look at verse 8. He says, uh, I'm going I'm to need you to give me favor so I can go accomplish a goal and build the wall. I'm going to need some letters in order to get there. And then verse 8. And I'm going to need a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. Time out. How do we know that Asaph is the keeper of the king's forest? How did, how did Nehemiah know that? You know, like just Google search it real quick. Who's the keeper of the forest? How did he know where he was going to get the timber? There's no Home Depot in Jerusalem. You, 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 see what, you see what's being communicated? You see what's being communicated about Nehemiah's waiting? What's he doing while he's waiting? He's thinking, well, I have a job to do. What's the job? I want to build a wall. How long are you guys going to take you to do it? I'm going to get it done in 52 days. What, what, what are you going to need in order to get there? Well, I'm going to need to get there first. And in order to get there, I've got to cross some provinces. And these people aren't always the friendliest people. So I need some letters in order to get permission to get through each checkpoint. And then when I get there, what am I going to need? Oh, I'm going to need some wood. Where am I going to get wood? Oh, I'm, going to, I'm going to find out where the king has wood. Oh, he has it in the keeper of the forest. He has a forest of it. And then there's a guy who manages it. I'm going to get the king to give me a letter to the guy who manages the forest that the king owns so I can get done the job that God has given me to do. Do you see? He evaluates the cost. He, give, he gives the king a shopping list. Look at his shopping list. I'm going to need some timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house. I'm going to need some timber for the wall of the city. I'm going to need some timber for the house that I'm going to enter into. That's great. That that is fantastic. You know why? Because remember what he said? I want to go to Jerusalem and I want to build the walls. 
I'm gonna build, I wanna go to Jerusalem and build the walls. But Nehemiah is so thorough, because here's what he knows. He knows that if he goes to Jerusalem to build the wall, it's gonna take at least some time. And while he's there, he's gonna need a place to sleep. So what does he do? He says, give me some, give me some timber for the gates, for the wall, for the house. Do you see that? You can see them. They're easily, they're easily identified in verse 8. For the gate, for the wall, for the house. Nehemiah is not simply, cons- his plan, look here. His plan is not just what he's going to professionally accomplish by way of being a contractor. His plan also is income, is, 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 uh, is, his plan also includes what he's trying to accomplish even in his own personal life. And by the way, I'm going to need a house to live in when I get there. This is what I'm trying to teach you. Waiting is never wasted. When we use our waiting time to pray, to develop patience, and to plan. To plan. Man, one day when I do this, I'm going to... I remember as a young man felt the call to ministry very early. I remember as a young man always making these lists with my friends in high school, Bible college, seminary. All these lists of things I was going to do one day when I pastored. Now, how many of those things have I done? Well, probably zero, just to be honest. I don't even know where those lists went. They were written on like IHOP napkins, okay? Waffle House napkins. That's what they were all written on. I remember making these lists. Oh, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Waiting time is never wasted. When you use your waiting time to pray, to develop patience, that's that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's that's our sanctification. And when we use our time to plan. Now, now here's what I need you to to see about Nehemiah. Go back there one more time. Here's what I need you to see about, about, about Nehemiah. Prayer is where the planning starts. Okay, so here's, here's the temptation. The temptation is, okay, let's just skip right to, the pl- right to the practical. I want to build a big house with some timber from this. No, he this is not where he began. Where did he begin? He began in prayer. Prayer is where planning starts. And then Nehemiah learns to wait. Wait on the Lord. He'll renew your strength. Wait on the Lord. He'll let you mount up with wings as eagles. He'll pick you up. He'll let you run and not be weary. He'll teach you how you can walk and not faint. And one of the reasons why we get so exhausted and why we get so frustrated in this life is because we are not. We are, we are not running this race that God has given to us in his strength, depending on him, waiting on him, waiting for his opportunities, but we're doing it in our own strength. If we're doing it in God's strength, man, then we'll run and not be weary. If we're doing it in God's strength, we'll, we'll walk and not faint. If we're doing it in God's strength, then we'll be waiting on him. Now, there's several other things Nehemiah does in this waiting time, but this is, this, is, this is probably most important. He prays, 
He has patience developed, and he gets a plan. What, what are you doing with your waiting time? So your marriage isn't where you want it to be yet. You're waiting. What are you doing with that? So you're trying to get into a college. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with your waiting time? What are you doing with your waiting time? Are we using our waiting time the same way that Nehemiah used his? And we should be. We should be. And if we would use our, our waiting time the way Nehemiah used his, we would find the same kind of usefulness to God's work that Nehemiah found. Nehemiah is useful to the work of God. Watch, not simply because Nehemiah is productive. Of course Nehemiah is productive. But Nehemiah is useful to the work of God because Nehemiah waited on God. That's why. Did you know this? I got to let you go. Did you know this? Nehemiah is not a building contractor. He's never built anything. He's grown up in captivity. He's a, he's a cup bearer for crying out loud. And yet Nehemiah is calculating, oh, I'm going to need some lumber. I know where to get it. It's going to cost me this. I'm going to need some passports. Do you see this? Waiting is never wasted when we're waiting on God.